Well, good morning. Uh, I have uh, uh, an announcement to make, and that is this between now and, and next Sunday, there is a service on Thursday night, a Monday Thursday service that we have every year. Uh, and every other year we do a Seder meal, and every other year we do a communion service. And this is a communion service. It's not a Seder meal, but it is a communion service. Um, and it's it's a meaningful opportunity to gather. It's a great way to kick off that, that your Easter um, weekend, if you would, uh, on that Thursday. It's a very meaningful opportunity. So if you would, you could bring your family out, and we'll be around round tables uh, for that opportunity. And it's a, a, real, a real blessing, so I wanted to make that announcement. Lord, again, we thank you for this uh, opportunity now to look into your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would be changed as a result of interacting with your word. It's so powerful, and it, it challenges us yet. You, Holy Spirit, take it and you use it as a way to transform us. And so do your transforming work in us. We just avail ourselves to you as your servants, as your people, as your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm excited uh, to preach this sermon on the triumphal entry of our Lord which we call Palm Sunday, because it's, it fits well and with where we ended last week in Romans chapter 7. Remember the, the Apostle Paul cried out, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? It's an interesting statement. And if you think of that, if you take that out of context, what a strange thing to, to, to say. And what body of death is he referring to? He's referring to his own body. Now, if you think of the context of that, he was declaring this, and it, it sort of sounds crazy in a way. I mean, if I stepped onto an elevator and I, I, I called out, save me from this guy, and I was choking myself. I think the other people would get off immediately in the next floor. But if the truth be told, I, I think we, we need someone to save us from ourselves and from the sin in our lives. And we do, you have to admit, a lot of stupid things. And uh, we later think about those foolish things, and it's as if somebody else did them, right? We, we think to ourselves, like, what were you thinking? What was I thinking? And the Apostle Paul and Romans 7.21 says, you know, it's, it's weird what's going on in me. It's when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Every time. And so the Apostle Paul sees himself battling himself. He says that the members of my body are waging war against the wall of my mind. Referring to this sermon as spiritual schizophrenia, and I'm not at all making fun of or, or making light of schizophrenia, which is a real condition in some individuals. But spiritually, when we have the opportunity to have one mind and to have one faith 
in one spirit and move forward. We ought not to have that split personality where we are one thing or one being at church or one being with our Bibles in a corner at home and something else in public or uh, in a workplace or at school. I, I, I know I've shared in, about my past and the first realization I had of this spiritual schizophrenia on myself was, was way back in college when a, when a kid uh, we called Gromo uh, that lived on our hall uh, said to me one time, he said, Eloise, you, you know, I, what I like about you is you're a Christian and you don't judge anybody. And I took that as a compliment. But then he continued and he said, you know, you do your little Christian thing on Thursday nights with your Christian group and then you party with us on the weekends. You are so cool. And I felt in that instant, just like Peter, the apostle, when he betrayed Christ. And and what was Gromo saying to me? He was saying, Jesus makes no difference in your life. And by the way, just so you know, I don't have to reach back 40 or 50 years for an example of sin in my life. That just happened to be the first time I recognized that in my life. Have you ever felt this way like I did on that day? Um, you know, you, you're walking with the Lord. You feel like you know Him as your Lord and Savior. But it's like you're calling all the shots in your life. And you don't know Christ as King. Jesus is our God and Savior. But never forget... He is also Lord and King. And everything that those terms and those titles mean. Is it possible that you have accepted Jesus and what He has done on the cross, but you have not recognized His kingship in your life? You know, it's interesting, as you go through the Gospels, if if you were tracking this on a map and you were recording where Jesus was at various points, it's, it's, it's like at one point he turned and faced Jerusalem, the place that he would die. And if you, if you go through the harmony, the harmony of the Gospels, you begin to see, and you map that out, he's making a trek, and he's, he's heading toward the cross. Why is that? Why would he turn and go to the destination that would eventually take his life? Jesus was and always is consumed, if you will, with his Father's will. If you remember in John chapter 4 where there's that interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well, all the rest of the disciples, they go into town to get something to eat. Jesus stays back at probably for this divine appointment with this woman at the well. They come back and one of the disciples says, get Jesus something to eat. They probably brought back fish sandwiches or something. Get Jesus something to eat. I'm not hungry. I already ate. And they're all whispering among each other, "Who, who, who gave him something to eat? Who gave him something to eat? And Jesus made this declaration. And I'll put it up here. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me 
and to finish his work. Wow. So Jesus turned with a sense of urgency into hostile territory as if he could see the cross off in a distance before him and he marched towards it. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 21 as we... As we read this uh, often on Palm Sunday, there's also some verses in Luke, uh, such that uh, David read earlier too, that we'll look at. In verse 1, it says that he approached Jerusalem and he came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. And so you see, Jesus is headed where he would eventually and not too distant future, be tortured and and killed and put on a cross and killed, yes. He will soon reveal to the world that he is indeed the Savior of the world, and he will also reveal his kingship. You know, Jesus established his, his divine kingship, first of all, with this fact, and that is that everything belongs to him. Everything belongs to Jesus. Everything. Jesus turned to his disciples and he said this, verses 2 and 3. He said, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And Jesus, by the way, doesn't add um, and do this when no one is looking. Still these donkeys. No, he's not. There's no good way to hotwire a donkey. A Mustang on the other side, on the other hand. But this is no covert operation. He's not doing this on the sneak. In fact, he adds in verse three, and I'll put it up here. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Why? Because everything belongs to God, and Jesus is God. None of us can get away with this. We can't do this. We can't just take ownership of things. We don't have ownership. We don't have the authority. So where does this lead us? Just this, And it just leads us to two important pieces of information that we should recognize. If God owns everything and Jesus owns everything, we need to hold on to things loosely because everything is his. Everything. When I say everything, I mean everything. That includes your money, your house, your car, your job. It also includes your children and your loved ones. Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? We hold on to things so tightly. Secondly, give to God what he requests. Give to God what he requests. What do you say when God says, I need this, I need this? That includes your will, your will. Does God have complete freedom to take and use what is his? Some people that have a hard time tithing or giving any money to the Lord's work or those who 
maybe who are out there that are in need and individuals have a hard time giving to them, uh, those who are in need, they have an, the, the wrong idea that everything is theirs. Even sometimes people will say, well, about tithing, they'll say, well, 10% is God's and 90% is mine. He owns it all. And he may ask you to give it all away. Does God have the freedom to call your son, your daughter, to foreign missions? <laughs> I went to Bible college with Todd and Chris McAllister, who ended up being on the mission field in Haiti and now are back in the States and involved in ministry here on the other side of the state in the Lancaster area. And I asked Todd, while he was at school, I said, Todd, I don't know how you're doing this. I, I, it's hard enough for me, but how are you guys doing this? How are you able to afford going through Bible college, all, the, all that this, this uh, goes with it, and making the trips and getting the vaccines and doing all this? He said, well, to be honest with you, Dan, I had a very successful meat market in Ephrata, but God had shown Chris and I that we are called to the mission field and so we sold our business, we sold our home, we sold it all, we put the money in the bank, and we are drawing from that account to do everything. In other words, he's, he's given it all away to go on the mission field <laughs> to Haiti. And, uh, and they indeed served in Haiti, where Todd had gotten a horrible bout with malaria. He came back to the States, and while he was in the States, they found out that he had prostate cancer. Um, he was healed of the prostate cancer, and then he returned. Right each time he got something, some illness, he went back. Each time he went back, and he's still in ministry today. Just give it all away. They gave it all away. Nothing they had, they understood, was theirs, and they knew it, and they lived like it. Allow me to read this section again, once again, just to recap. Jesus said, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. And then he adds, if anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. I hope you find this as amazing as I do, but... Jesus is Lord and King because he is able to speak and fulfill his own word. He prophesizes and then he fulfills it. Sometimes, you know, you need to dissect portions of Scripture and there'll be these theologians that will struggle over what is really meant in the Old Testament and how does it relate to it. And sometimes when you read some of that information, it feels like they're making a stretch to make a prophecy work. Other times, God just shows you a portion of Scripture and it's a prophecy in the Old Testament. He fulfills it in the New Testament and it's as clear as a bell. It's like, it's like prophecies for dummies. And, and that's what I need sometimes. I just need, what does it say and how is it fulfilled? And we see in, in verse 4, this took place, this whole donkey business took place so that it would fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And verse 5 declares the prophecy. 
In verse 5 it says, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fault of a, don- a full of a donkey. And so where do we find that? We, well, we find it 520 years before the birth of Christ. God said through his prophet, Zechariah, in chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Here is Jesus a half a millennium later <laughs> fulfilling the prophecy. And what is he doing? Well, he's sitting on a donkey. He is righteous. He's without sin. And in his hand is salvation. What a coincidence. No, what an amazing God and king. Only a king can, can decree something and then have the power and the resources to fulfill it. And only a divine king can do it with 500 years in between. And so the, the crowd recognizes his kingship. Even if their recognition is short-lived, they knew what he was communicating by the manner he was entering Jerusalem. They, they understood the prophecy. Many of them did. If, if God speaks and fulfills his own word, how should we respond? And this would, this would lead to an application for us, right? Well, the first application is we should read the king's word. It would be important, right, to know what the king says. If Jesus is king of your life, you want to know what he has to say. And where do you find that? We find that in scripture. He is king. And so his word is not a suggestion. Kings don't make suggestions. They make decrees. Jesus isn't offering us little thoughts for the day or cute sayings. He's a king. Secondly, we need to rely on the king's word. Many people today, and I've been guilty of this, say they will do something one day and the very next day they'll forget to follow through. But here, God fulfills to the T exactly what he says he would do. That is reliable. This means not being in a state of panic all the time, half your life, in fact. This means not eating half the fridge to calm your nerves or taking one more drink to settle your nerves. Jesus is king. Jesus is savior. Those two truths are inseparable and they will sustain us in the deepest times of worry. There is no theological knife fashioned so sharp that we can dissect and separate Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord and King. These are inseparable realities. One way Jesus fulfills his words are through obedient servants. So obey the king. This is, this is what Jesus' disciples did. We, we see that. They follow through in verses 6 and 7. The disciples went and they did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. 
And so I would say third application for us is not only to read the king's word and rely on the king's word, it would be to obey the king's word. Obey it. Don't live that dual life. (laughs) Saying Jesus is king. Yeah, he's king. He's king of my life. He's Lord of my life. And then you're your own king. And you're calling all the shots. Be obedient to the king's commands. And by the way, when you're obedient to the king's commands, it's for your best interest. It's for your, it's for your success in God's eyes. Thirdly, we understand that Jesus is king because he received praise. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. While others cut cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and they asked, who is this? The crowds answer, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. And if you skip down to verse 15. But when the chief priest and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And so they come to say, do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you ever read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? We saw some of that yesterday here with those almost 30 kids singing praises to our Lord. Beautiful. The people standing around knew what was going on. They responded appropriately like, like they would have for hundreds of years. This is what Jewish, the Jewish culture did. In fact, if you look all the way back in Second Kings chapter 9, here is what he told me. The, the, this is what the Lord says. I will anoint you king over Israel. They hurried and they took their cloaks and they spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. This is what they do for kings. They lay their cloaks, they lay branches on the, on the ground to make the ground so level and so nice and, and to, and to recognize the kingship of an individual. You see, this is what the Jews did and this is how they responded from times of old. And by the way, Jesus doesn't stop, get off the donkey and say, I am but a mortal, unworthy of praise. No. He doesn't stop the people from praising him. In fact, as was read earlier by David, in Luke chapter 19, verse 40, he says this, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Isn't that remarkable? And what would the stones say if they cried out? They would say, this is, this is God. This is the divine king. What is it, however, that makes the chief priest and the teachers 
of the law so up in arms? Why are they so irritated? Why are they in, they so indignant? If you look back at verse 15, there are two reasons that they state themselves why they are indignant. First of all, they saw the wonderful miracles he performed. <clears throat> and they saw the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna, son of David. Boy, nothing makes you madder than a hornet than those two things. Jesus healing people, helping people, restoring sight to the blind, healing people from demon possession, people who had a lifetime of sin, issues of bleeding, hopelessness. Man, it makes you mad when someone turns around and heals them. But even more so, he, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, was receiving praise. Here is Savior and King and and. And Jesus welcomes the praise, for He is God. It is only right for us to tell our God and King how great He is, that we in fact recognize Him as King and and will honor Him in this way. And so the application, I would just remind you, even in this week, when we talk about the suffering of our Lord, take time to praise God. Enter into praise and stop being a vicarious spectator. Give God honor and praise that is due Him. That takes us some time to get quiet. We say, oh, we're so busy, we're so busy. I'll tell you what, nothing will energize you more than to spend time with the king, spend time worshiping our Lord. Finally, I want to point out something very interesting. It's one thing that Jesus did, and one thing he said at the tail end of this magnificent entry. All of the glory, all the branches laid at his feet, all the shouts and the shouts, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And see if this doesn't impact you. Those things are being stated about him. He, they recognize him as king. And, and right at the tail end of, of the account that Luke gives, this is, this is stated. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, He wept over it. And he said this, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The king weeps. Jesus established his divine kingship by displaying his passion for his people. Jesus is king. Everything belongs to him. Every word he utters is true and it comes to pass and he is, he rightfully receives praises from his people. But on his way to the cross, just within a week, he stops, he looks into the eyes of those who are praising him, And he knows that many of them, most of them are looking for a political savior 
to help them out of their present time of trouble. He knows the spiritual condition of these people. He knows they are lost. And He cries. Jesus weeps. If you have, if you had only known this day what would bring you peace, it's me. It's Jesus. Those same people would be involved yelling, crucify him, crucify him, but he loves them. That's a compassionate king. There are kings that roll with an iron fist and assert their power just to prove their importance, then there's Jesus. There are kings who place themselves far above the people in their kingdoms, in their castles. Then there's Jesus. He is the king who said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. How should this affect us? Well, we're servants in his kingdom. And so as a way of application, I would say we need to reflect our king's love and passion for people. We need to reflect that. When was the last time you shed a tear over those who are outside the kingdom? There's a lot of last people. We talk about them. We say how crazy some people are, how horrible the laws are, how, how irritated we are with people in Washington, D.C. We're, we're upset about this. We're upset about that. Do we ever cry over those who are lost? Have you ever wept over your city, your town, your family members, your friends, your co-workers, your fellow students, or your neighbor who doesn't know the King of Peace. Does it break your heart like it broke Jesus' heart as he looked into the eyes of those people? Perhaps you are like many who have invited Jesus into your heart as Savior but you still haven't submitted to him as Lord and King. Well, Jesus is the divine King because everything belongs to him, right? He speaks and he fulfills his own word. He he prophesies and fulfills it. He receives praise because it's due him as King. And he displays his passion for people. Let me ask you, is Jesus your King? Do you submit to his will? Or have you been king of your own life? We have to remember this. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. But he is also Lord and King. He's God and Savior and he's Lord and King. Let's pray. Lord, there are many, many days that we get in trouble because we just take the ownership of our lives. We don't submit to you. We don't read your word. We just go on through our day as if you weren't there. And for that, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. 
Lord, we just right now confess that we have been living our own lives our way. And so we just want to submit to you today and come clean. And perhaps there are even those who are here today or listening online, Lord, that just need to stop and say, I need to quit this this one thing in my life that I keep doing. Or I need to start doing this. And Lord, whatever that is, as you speak to us individually, I pray that we would stop and be obedient as a servant to you as king. Thank you for your forgiveness as a king. Thank you for your passionate love for each of us as a divine king. We just surrender to your lordship. And we thank you that you have made us part of your kingdom. And we thank you for those little ones who who entered your kingdom yesterday. Thank you for even allowing us to be part of that. Have your way here, Lord, not only this day, but in every day to come. We look forward to you, King, returning. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.